Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing a pod that, not going to lie, we messed up last week. I said it. I said it on the Premier League podcast this weekend. I said it earlier in the week. I apologize. That was on me for not doing the La Liga podcast last week. We were too swamped with work and the election going down that it was just too much. But we're back talking about La Liga, talking about, again, the objective best league in the world. And, of course, I'm joined by Rian, who consequently does not hold that same opinion. Rian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. And I, uh, it's Thursday here. We watch, I just watched the U S play their first national team game in, I think seven months, seven or no more than that. Wow. Uh, like more nine, than that, month, yeah. nine or 10 months. Um, wow. It was just so refreshing. I just goes <laughs> out. Just so refreshing to watch a team just play with actual quality. I mean, it feels harsh, but a, a team, a team full of quality, like in every part of the pitch and to see like the midfielders and Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams playing effortlessly, just playing balls across the field and not having to sit on it for like three seconds before they do it. And, and guys carrying the ball, uh, Eunice Musa from, from Valencia made his, First, uh, had his first cap for the U.S. today, and he played in center mid, and there was some good stuff there. There's a lot to build on the U.S. It's just a lot of quality. It's all about gelling. But it was it was probably the most giddy I've been watching the the national team play in so long. So, I mean, it's it's hard not to get excited about this group of players. Um, they're just so so talented, and the only thing that sucks is they're just not that well coached. Um, but the pipeline is there. I'm just saying to make a run in 2022 and 2026, the pipeline is very much there. So I'm not going to hold my breath, but I will just say it's, it could be the start of something good. And that's how all hopes and dreams go to die. But anyway, nonetheless, <laughs> Rian, Rian made a great transition there talking about Musa, who, of course, a 17 year old Valencia midfielder, um, really who plays more of a winger <clears throat> for them. But we're not going to start with Valencia, even though, oh, I'm so excited to talk about them this week. So excited after this past weekend. Rian, we're going to start in Barcelona with just some uh, usually like very odd news, but nothing again has come out of Barcelona. It's been super odd, which again is probably probably not a good thing because we almost want weird news coming out of Barcelona. We're kind of used to it, but Barcelona again continuing, I guess, the the rockiness and the inconsistency in their form over the last several weeks. And uh, they did come out with a win against Real Batiste, 5-2 over the weekend on Saturday. And it was funny enough, the same exact scoreline as the reverse fixture, or I, say, I should say the same fixture last year. And a 5-2 scoreline separated those two sides uh, a year ago. And we saw the same result on a Saturday Rian, I, I watched majority of this game, I will say. I didn't watch all of it for the, the sole caveat that the election was called in the middle of this game. So I couldn't watch all of it, um, and I was a little preoccupied after the election was called. But nonetheless, I thoroughly enjoyed this game. Any thoughts on Barcelona so far? I think 
you kind of hit a very interesting fact where it's the same scoreline as last season. And also similarly last season that it was that game that it felt like Barcelona was getting it together last season when they, when they beat Betis and Griezmann and Messi both played well in the same fixture last year, this game, the first half was really good. I thought that, I thought that Barcelona were really good throughout the entire game. I thought Griezmann was pretty disappointing in the first half. He just wasn't finishing chances. And funny enough, he didn't finish a chance until Messi came on the pitch and, and, and gave him this great dummy for, uh, for the first goal, for his first goal of the game. But overall, you know, I thought they played very, I thought Barcelona played very well. I mean, this is a game that they didn't start, uh, Serginho Dest. And they started Sergio Roberto, who, who had a really nice assist for Messi's, I think his last goal, a back heel. But, um, you know, they look again like they're putting something together. Busquets started this past weekend instead of Pjanic as Elias holds an L up to his head, to his forehead. Um, now I, I think things are moving in the right direction. There's some, oh, we've talked about the inconsistencies, but, it almost feels like they're as long as Pjanic gets into the team more regularly, and we've seen Sergio Dest play really well and fit slot into this team well. And there's signs that Griezmann and Messi, if played centrally together and allowed the freedom to to switch between each other's positions, that can work. The only thing now is the injury to Ansu Fati makes things a bit awkward but it'll be interesting to see who Barcelona slots in in that position going forward on the left wing I mean there's no perfect answer to so I mean a couple things before I get to that um with Griezmann and Messi it's interesting that you you make you kind of point out how Griezmann did once Messi came on because Messi of course I should have mentioned did not start this game he started on the bench and Griezmann did start essentially in his place, but really only started to shine once Messi came on and really used Messi as a focal point in the second half. In the first half, Griezmann, I think, was a little lost, missed a clear chance again to score, and really should he the man should have like seven, eight goals on the season based on the chances he's missed. Like they're for a world class player that he is, he's missed some really, really key chances. So Griezmann did step up in the second half, but you also mentioned one other point about Sergio Dest not starting this game. And I think that was one actually one of the biggest weaknesses of Barcelona this time around. I do not think that Sergio Roberto should be starting a right back ever again for this team. I, I just think that he does not have the defensive pace or strength, fortitude, agility to get back and defend. The man likes playing very vertically, and that's okay. But he gets forward decently. I'll give him that. But he's not... He is not a right back. Let's be honest. He's a glorified box to box midfielder. Good at carrying the ball. I'll give you that, but he is not a right back. Serginho Dest, on the other hand, would have been perfect for handling, um, Moreno on who, who plays left back for Real Batiste. Sergio Roberto was getting torched time and time again on that wing and Moreno was playing cross after cross. And in fact, that's how Real Batiste's first goal came about. And, that I think it needs to be one of the biggest changes that Coleman makes after the international break is starting Serginho Dest more consistently, consistently, um, like he did in the Clasico where he played incredibly. Um, so I hope this isn't 
reminiscent of what we will continue to see out of that right back spot. But I do genuinely see Serginho Dust having a very, very prominent role in this team uh, going forward. So, yeah, the second half didn't prove um, Messi was messy. I mean, he scored just a brilliant second goal um, where he basically dummies half of the Real Batiste left defensive half. Um, and I don't think there's been a ball hit harder this season than, than that goal from, from Messi just being roofed um, completely into the top of net almost hits Claudio Bravo in the face, which would have torn his face off, but that was, that was something else. So Messi's back. I'm happy about that. Yeah. The first half of Barcelona's XG was 1.44, which is still very good as a team anyway, like without Messi, but second half, XG of over three. So like, he comes on, changes the game. Like, we're not saying anything that's wasn't already known about the man, but it just shows he's the, the impact that he still has on this team. And the best version of this team is still him and Griezmann being in it together. It's not one or the other. Yeah, completely agreed. And to answer your last question about the left wing position, I don't know if we have a perfect answer to that because I don't think any of the squad players actually fit into that role seamlessly. I think the obvious one would be probably Dembele because he is ambidextrous and can play on either side. Really? The other option or options I should say would be Coutinho and Pedri Pedri who's played more centrally, but also played on the left wing against Juventus and played out of his mind that game. Um, So, so again, possibilities are there, which is nice to see squad depth. But losing Ansu Fati for potentially three to up to five months is a really, really big loss for a player that was really continuing to shine. The good, I, I will say the bright part of that is he just turned 18. Like this is, We're not talking about a 29, 30-year-old player. We're talking about a player with a massive, massive future. And he did choose the smart option of getting surgery and getting it fixed for the long term. So I have to give him props there for his maturity. Yeah, I mean, it's... We can't understate how big of an impact he has, he's already made on this team at his age. This season he's leading, he's leads the team in goals. He's third in key passes per 90 and second in expected goals and assists <clears throat> per 90. Like he's making an unbelievable impact. And so we almost have to look at this as like Barcelona is losing an experienced player just because of his impact on the team. Right. And, and so it's, I don't know if this means if this means Coutinho's going out there. I mean, that's a very like you said, a very different type of player and a very different type of approach. Um, I personally prefer him out on the left, I guess, than playing in that number ten role over Griezmann or Messi. So it might it might still work out because no matter what I've said about Coutinho, there's still a lot of quality in that player. And that's still a very good link-up type of player. And granted, he's not going to be providing, I think, a lot of chances, but he is going to provide a goal-scoring threat in the same way that Ansu Fati did. And that's what I think is going to be the most important aspect to substitute when you lose uh, Fati. Yeah, I completely agreed. I'm really curious to see who takes that starting spot in kind of our first game back. I know Coutinho's coming back from fitness, and obviously a lot of players from the international break will be tired. So let's see who gets that starting spot on the left. My guess, if I had to put money on it, is it's going to be Dembele, or maybe that's wishful thinking, but 
I, I do think it will be him. To answer your question, who starts on the right then? I don't know. Maybe it's a situation where it's Dembele on the right and Pedri on the left. Pedri's actually going to be my left wing bet. So I, I don't know what happens through there, but it, it's it's a dilemma that Coleman's going to have for the pretty much the bulk of the next three months at the very least. Yeah, I hope I hope we get to see more Pedri because yeah, he scored on over the weekend as well. And every time he's played, he's been so bright. And he is also one of I think been one of the three to four biggest contributors to the team, especially in terms of um chance creation. So it'll be good. It'll be good, I think, to see the, the young guys probably get more time. Who knows? Maybe Conrad De La Fuente will get a few more minutes. Um, <laughs> That's, well, the but, That's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah, you should be our backup right back. But anyway, that largely covers most of Barcelona, other than one major update around the new presidential elections uh, that one presidential (laughs) election to another. We're just we're just (laughs) cycling through them here. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Every every couple of weeks, we'll have new presidential elections for some new topic. But this week, we're talking about Barcelona's new presidential elections, which just came out earlier today. And we're only recording this on Thursday. So it did come out that the presidential elections will be held January 24th of 2021. So I'm sure that gives enough time for the club to plan from a health standpoint and also from just an overall operational standpoint with the the major caveat that the new president is going to have to deal with a salary reductions with the players because of the the coronavirus pandemic. That's going to, that's pretty much a major topic of discussion within the club and two, oh, also the fact that Barcelona are about to go bankrupt. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty fun situation that they have to deal with. Good luck with that. But anyway, Rian, let's move on to the next game in La Liga from this past weekend. My personal favorite game of the weekend. I watched all of this. I watched more of this than I did the Barcelona game. Real Madrid-Valencia. I, I have to say that the scoreline, it does not represent the game entirely, but... What are your thoughts on Real Madrid Valencia right now? I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It, it's four one, which for any fan uh, who dislikes Real Madrid must have been a glorious game to watch because three of the goals were penalties and one was an own goal. And I mean, especially after Madrid's run into the title last at the end of last season, where they got. A fair amount of these to go their way. This this had to be refreshing for uh, some other La Liga fans, but I think slightly unlucky for them. You look at the non-penalty expected goals, and it's Real Madrid one point oh six and Valencia at zero point one three. But you throw in those three penalties, <laughs> and it bumps Valencia up to like two and a half. So it, it it's slightly unlucky to Madrid, but you can't say that it's not warranted because of the individual mistakes that Madrid made during this game. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. All of these penalties and and situations where Real Madrid got called out, they were all penalties. Like you go back and with the exception of maybe one, the Marcelo one, I I think they're all penalties and that's being as objective as I can. Um, The own goal is obviously just, again, a a lapse of concentration and a a lack of focus from Varane, but also a little bit of luck associated with that, too. Something that I I will have to point out that Varane has kind of 
struggled with a little bit in the last couple of months, ranging back from the Manchester City game over the summer and now the Valencia game, but also, you know, throughout their Champions League campaign this season too. So things to look out for that, again, make me constantly point out the fact that I don't think this Real Madrid team are very good. This, again, has no bearing on the fact that I think Barcelona are also kind of trash, but Real Madrid don't expect them to, excuse me, walk to the league title. They're just not going to do that. They're not that type of team right now. And yes, they did give away three penalties and they were unlucky, but I I should also point out that they, they had a good amount of chance creation, especially in the first half, the first 15 minutes of that game, first 20 minutes were really good from Real Madrid. They dominated possession. They dominated the attacking uh, channels and, and the flanks and they got in behind um, you know, quite frankly, Gaia and, and the rest of their Valencia's back line. And that's not an easy task with or without fans at Mestalla. So still pretty impressive from Real Madrid at the start, but they just, they just got to let get away from them. I, I don't think it's a collapse so much as it was luck, honestly. And Carlos Soler for Valencia, bravo, my friend, a hat trick of penalties that first time that's ever happened to Real Madrid. I don't believe that's the first time that's happened in La Liga history, but I might stand correct on that. But yeah, still very impressive from Valencia to to do that. I mean, statistically, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great result for Valencia. And we have to give a lot of props to Javi Garcia, um, who, I mean, under the current environment at Valencia, it, so much credit to him for how well they've done. Like, Elias, if you could quickly kind of let our listeners know how crazy the last pretty much year, I guess with Valencia really, but, but even the last three to four months. Yeah. To, to Rion's point, basically what's <laughs> Valencia has been in a constant state of crisis for like the last year and a half. And I think that's kind of flown under the radar, maybe not too much to people that actually follow the league constantly, but Valencia about a year ago, their owner, Peter Lim, who's Singaporean, um, he, really wanted um, a massive change at the club, but from management, from the coaching staff to the players. And it caused a lot of backlash from Valencia supporters calling for Peter Lim to basically sell the club and with all due respect, go fuck yourself. Um, And so he, he didn't, he kind of withstood that and went through with those decisions on his own. Basically, um, unilaterally sacked Marcelino, um, Valencia's uh, coach, and also sold off in a fire sale, like half of Valencia's squad, a majority of their squad this past summer. I mean, I, I could just name a couple, and most people will know these names. Danny Parejo, who went to Villarreal on a free. He was their captain, their prodigal son, um, you know, the person that really held this team together, gone for free. A name that a lot of our listeners will know, Ferran Torres went to Manchester City for still a good fee, but also a player that Valencia should and could have kept on, uh, kept uh, a hold of for a lot longer. And there, I mean, that's just the, the start of the examples. Cacalan also went to Vill- Villarreal for free. Um, just generally, Valencia being very, very shitty with their, their management. And so, it's it's really, really impressive that at this point, Valencia are still holding on and getting results against Real Madrid, despite all the hoopla, like 
that happened in this game with the penalties. Valencia didn't play poorly and they have not played that poorly this season. I mean, they played Chelsea this season. No, Sevilla played Chelsea this season. I like, but Valencia have played good teams is my point over the last several weeks and they've stood up to them. So I got to give them props from, um, from a sporting perspective. And of course, the, from a coaching perspective. Yeah. And I know that in the, um, the Atleti part of this episode, we're going to talk about another player that they, that Valencia had to just kind of let walk out the door of the last month too. So hats off to uh, Javi Gracia, who's the former Watford coach who also was fired in a pretty controversial way in Watford too, because of their weird ownership kind of uh, structure where, where they kind of changed coaches almost every year too. So <laughs> good on him for, for rebounding. And he, I'm sure he's in such a terrible position right now. And I think I'd read a couple quotes from him a, a few weeks ago where he's just like, you know, with everything that's happening, I'm just trying to keep my head down and, and I'm ready to work with the players that we have here. And they've been outperforming a lot of their metrics, but that's all that matters is getting the results at this point, especially with the situation that they're in. And you know, again, hats off to him. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a really impressive feat that he's come up with the results that he has with the players that he has after a fire sale this past summer. So shout out to Valencia. Uh, we will always be watching Valencia hashtag always watch Valencia. But anyway, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back talking a little bit more in depth about Atletico Madrid, Madrid, a team that we oh so constantly shit on, but maybe we don't have to anymore. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking a little Atleti, Atletico Madrid. Rian, as much as we shit all over Diego Simeone, we have to we have to give Atletico props. We we do for as much as their attacking fluidity sometimes isn't as perfect as we want it to be. Sometimes even defensively, they're not as strong as they used to be, especially on the wings or in their fullback positions. But Rion, this is a team that's on 17 points with two games in hand. Actually, they've played seven games. Villa, or excuse me, Real Sociedad at the top of the table have played nine and with a win, if they do, against Barcelona in their next game after the international break, that could take them to the top of the table. So, have we gone too far in shitting all over Diego Simeone? I, I, would, I would still hesitate and say that we have not, but they are one win away from being at the top of the table, and they have not lost a game yet. I think, it, I think it's not so much as, uh, are we, were we wrong for uh, our criticisms against against Simeone, it's. I think what we've seen more is what we've been asking for, desperately pleading for, is João Felix has become more of an influence on this team and is getting a real run playing up front with Luis Suarez, and and that's the biggest difference between this team this season and last season. Whereas last season they. We're totally underperforming their all of their metrics, their XG, not they're creating chances, terrible at finishing. This season, they are totally overperforming in that sense. Overperforming their XG. They're only averaging 
two more shots per game and the same exact amount of shots on targets per game. But Jao Felix is the difference here. His leap from last season to this season, and maybe to some level we have to we should give Simeone credit in the sense that he was being very cautious with Jao Felix last season. Um and obviously that has to be part of it. I guess you can't just throw him in. But just looking at his progression from last season, he's creating more shot-creating actions per 90 this season compared to last season. He's almost doubled in that that stat. And he's second in La Liga in expected goals and assists per 90. He's sitting top 10 in non-penalty expected goals per 90, shot-creating actions, and shots per 90. But most importantly, last season he was averaging just under 40 touches a game, and this season he's averaging almost 60. That, I think, is the crux of the difference in this team, and that they just look more dangerous when they go forward. It's almost like if you give Jao Felix the ball, he will do something creative? Is that? I mean, is that... I think that's what you're getting at. I think that's the word. Yes. Yeah, of, of course it is because he's an incredible player. He's still, you know, a very young and developing player, but this is what Atletico bought him for. It's to develop and become the focal point of this attack moving forward. And you're starting to see that now you're starting to see him come into the fold and really make a name for himself and kind of make his impression on the game. Right. Any game that it's in. Right. He, he can play to the strengths of the players around him and feeding the ball to your Luis Suarez's and your Diego Costa's the world. Mainly it's been Marcus Lorente actually recently, but it largely is between Luis Suarez and, and Marcus Lorente. But he also plays as a defensive workhorse when Atletico need him to do that. He he does all of these things well to what Simeone needs. And I think to add to your point, Rian, about his touches per game having gone up basically like 50%. It's, I think what's even more important is looking at the flow of Atletico's play when he's on the field now. And when he's not off, when he's off the field, I think last season you saw when he was on the field that he did make an impact on the game and they looked a little more dangerous, but there wasn't an identity about Atletico. There wasn't a sense of, okay, there's, there's a progression of how you move the ball around the attacking third that benefits Jao Felix and gets him into dangerous positions. Now you see that. I mean, this season now, when you don't see him in a game, it's the opposite, right? Now they don't know what to do when he's on the field. They, there's really a lack of identity there when he's not there. But when he is on the field, he has really, really stepped up. He has scored. I mean, he scored a brace in their last game. He's he's hitting all of the strides that I think Atletico wanted him to hit, especially now in his second season. And I, I mean, I could be happier for him. He's just a quality, quality talent. Yeah, it, it, there's so much to love about this kid. I mean, I'm crossing my fingers that he stays healthy throughout this international break and we get to actually see him start um, against Barcelona in a couple of weeks because that'll be a fantastic game and, and that'll be the first big test, I think, for uh, well for Atleti, for sure. I mean, uh, obviously Barcelona played played Madrid a, a couple of weeks ago, but this will be a real... Um, we're not going to call it like a six-pointer or, or some kind of, you know, real title implications, but it'll be a great marker for 
both of these teams. As I think it'll mean more for Atleti to, in terms of where are they in their progression from this season, from last season to this one. So loving everything that we see from Joao Felix. He scored for Portugal yesterday, so it's it's all working out. I mean, this is this is the guy that we wanted to see. This is, we wanted to see him just be unleashed, and and we're seeing that, and he's getting full creative freedom for the most part. And you make a great point. He's not shy to do the defensive part. And I think that is maybe why Simeone was pretty tentative with him last season, but he's got that in his locker to go back and do the dirty side of the game. And once he adds that, it's, he's got a complete player. So loving everything. Yep. That's, that's exactly what Atletico spent the big money on. So I'm very honestly I will say I'm very excited to see him start hopefully against Barcelona because that will be a really really good game I mean we talk about narratives how many times a podcast there are so many narratives in Atletico and, and Barcelona of course the obvious one being Jordi Al- no I'm kidding it's it's obviously the, the Luis Suarez narrative but anyway that's my attempt at comedy um, the last point that I would make on Atletico Madrid we talked a little bit about this just now with Valencia and the fire sale they actually had over the summer but that fire sale has actually continued past the transfer deadline um, Rian they're I wouldn't say star center back but their squad center back con con dogbia I almost butchered that con dogbia um, moved from Valencia to Atletico Madrid actually in last week and Largely, that's due to Thomas Partey leaving. And just so our viewers know, there is a rule in Spain and in La Liga that says that if a player's release clause is paid by another team, that team can then actually replace that player within 30 days. And it just so happens that those 30 days extended past the transfer deadline. So just so you know, Atletico, you're getting a, a decent center back, not one that honestly I, I've at rank very highly at Valencia last season, but you're getting someone else to at least shore up the back line a little bit. He's, he's adding depth. Yeah. And, and you can also slot into like holding mid as well for Condogbia. So you can see the kind of direct um, replacement that he could be for, for Partey. But on top of all that, it just gives Atleti's real depth. So they could have gone throughout the rest of the season. You know, losing Partey is big, obviously, because of the quality of the player, but really the squad depth that Atletico need to be able to challenge for the title for the entire season. That's really important. And, and that's where he slots in. And that's where, you know, this team has a great chance. If everyone stays healthy for the most part, uh, this team's got enough quality and I think just enough depth in their midfield, they can't really survive a long-term injury, I think, to Suarez or Rafa Felix. But if those guys are relatively healthy and they manage, especially Suarez's minutes, well, this team's going to be there to the, to the last month, month and a half of the season, right up there at the top. A hundred percent agreed. Yep. That that's the biggest thing is how Atletico manage their consistency going forward. I don't think we have an answer for that. I mean, in an ideal world, Diego Simeone, you know, manages the load on Jao Felix going forward. Cause he can't play all 38 plus games that Atletico are going to play, especially with the shortened schedule. But here's to hoping that, you know, they're not injury ridden because that's a very real 
problem that they could face. Like once Jao Felix, let, let's say a Jao Felix or Luis Suarez goes out, one, just one. Who do you replace either of those players with? Marcus Lorente, sure, has been playing, but again, I would almost I would actually argue that Marcus Lorente's probably been their best striker this season, but um he hasn't been bad, actually. He's he's been he's been all right. The goal scoring part is still pretty important, but <laughs> yeah, don't forget that. But I mean, I'll I'll give it to him. It's pretty impressive. But you're really short someone if one of those players goes out. Like you, you lose a lot of quality. There's a big gap. So it's a question that I hope Atletico don't have to ask. But it's again, I think part of why they went to shore up right the the Partey spot and and they brought in Lucas Terreras. I don't want to say insurance, but everyone pretty much on this team is insurance just because of the situation. So that's, I believe, everything from Atletico and everything going on uh, with Simeone's squad. Rian, a couple last talking points before we wrap up talking about some of the other big teams in Spain who've just showed up consistently. I love, I'm just going to say, I love Real Sociedad. I love everything that their club stand for. I love playing, seeing them play. I just love how consistent they've been. And I, I just, I think they've been awesome this season. And I, I think their game against Granada was a perfect example of that. Um, but Rian thoughts on some of the other, other top teams in Spain. Yeah, I think Sociedad has been the revelation here, right. Of the, of the early season, you've got a team that is full of, Full quality up top now. When you think about the David Silva signing, I know we've talked about it, and I know that we talked about how sneaky it was, of course. But he is leading the league in passes into the box, <laughs> so his impact on that team, him along with Mikel Oyarzabal, has been fantastic. And he's Oyarzabal. Wow, Ellis, am I saying this right? Oyarzabal. Oyarzabal, yep. Oyarzabal, yeah. So he's leading the league in goals, and he's the next, one of the next great Spanish players, I think. And it's a team that has a great mix now of these high-potential talent players and throwing in an experienced league title winner like David Silva, who still has a lot left in the tank. They're going to be in and around that top four all season. And look, this is still a very weird season. I'll still, I'll still hold that. Like, no, no matter how somewhat normalized the schedule might become in the second half of the season, it, this is still a very weird season. And when you've got Real Sociedad who are leading the league in goals, who are second in expected goals and first in expected points, these are not flukes. They're not winning these games by a goal or two, a goal here, a, a penalty, some sort of luck, right? They're thoroughly outplaying the teams that they've come up against. And that's the biggest sign, I think, of a sustainable quality. Yeah, there's there's something that's very, very interesting about Real Sociedad. And it's, again, it's just their consistency to play up to the level of their opponents. And... They have some really, really quality players, right? You mentioned Oya Thabal, Porto. Um, I'm personally, my personal favorite player is uh, Alexander Isak. Um, 
they they just have a team that it it makes the most sense. I think in La Liga, I, I think they're the team that mo- make the most cohesive sense in terms of the profile of players in midfield that they have. Both you know technical you know ball players like David Silva, and then you also have forwards that are not you know just a group of poachers, right? It's a mix of technical wingers and also very, very strong strikers, right? Physically and mentally very, very, you know, strong in a, in a mental sense. And they have a lot of fortitude. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and that I think is very hard to come by in a team that gels so, 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 um, cohesively. And I, I think real social dad do that really, really well. I would challenge anyone to just go out and watch the highlights from the Granada game, um, last weekend, because one of the things that I found the most interesting, I mean, I watched part of the game, but I didn't even look at the stats until earlier today. Granada had one shot on target. Real Sociedad had nine and Real Sociedad had a total of 22 shots. Granada might just add are fighting right now for a top six spot. This is not a team that you just completely mess around with. Although don't look at their result against Atletico Madrid at the beginning of the season. That doesn't count. Um, but nonetheless, a team that has put up a fight and are in fifth place. So Real Sociedad are just a quality, quality side. Same with Villarreal. Same with, obviously, Valencia we, t- Valencia we talked about. Um, but two teams that I, I think have just really shown up and will seriously remain consistent in in a league where real madrid and barcelona i don't think are the top dogs right now this is i think the one shot for the i would say top six teams to really challenge for the title and who knows what will be come early next year yeah and one last thing on sociedad they've only trailed this season for 34 minutes are you serious their their dominance 34 minutes all season Wow, I had no idea. That's actually insane. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I, I've I've not seen them really go down that much. Um, well, clearly because it was for thirty four minutes, so <laughs> basically like half of a meeting for me. Um, but anyway, that does actually cover most of La Liga and what we wanted to to go over. Unless Rian usually does a good job of correcting me if I miss something. So, Rian, did I miss something? I don't. I don't think so this week, Elias. I think. I think we're looking good. I mean, the top four is definitely feels a bit like the upside down, where Sociedad and Villarreal <laughs> are the are uh, first and second, and Atleti and Real Madrid are sitting in third and fourth. And you go down a few more spots. Barcelona are still sitting in eighth, although a game in hand. Um, but yeah, we come back from the international break and cold water straight to the face. <laughs> <laughs> with with uh, Atleti and Barcelona and Villarreal playing Real Madrid. Oh. Yes. Oh yeah. Very, that that's the other thing that we should have mentioned. Villarreal play Real Madrid the same weekend that Barcelona play Atleti. But I will be watching both either way. So it doesn't matter to me. I'll be watching both. Super excited for both of those games. I'm not even going to try and make a prediction for either of those because they're just so freaking up in the air that if I go with like a two-two. That's probably the closest thing you'll get to like both games. So I, I don't know. I'm not even going to make a prediction. Rian, we can talk about it next week. But for now, thank you guys for listening, as always, to the La Liga podcast that we missed last week and, of course, brought back to you this week. So we'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.